Look, it's a real pleasure for me to be back at Westside. I, I have been associated with you for a long time. Um, I was here the weekend that uh, you launched uh, 25 years ago um, and have followed your journey and history and just want to say congratulations because 25 years of doing anything is quite a remarkable, remarkable feat. And um, I've been in church for quite a number of years and, and churches have high points, low points, but the whole resilience of the church to me is absolutely amazing. And you guys have proved yourself faithful, tenacious. Um, you continue to be a light to this city and a light to this area. And I just want to commend you for that because uh, many situations people give up way, way too soon. You haven't given up. You've gone on. Uh, you've found strength. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty convinced after speaking with the board uh, for several hours yesterday that all of your best days as a community of faith is yet to come and God is going to receive a lot of glory and honor as a result of the way that you live in this city and beyond. So well done Westside. God bless you in, in, in your journey. It's just been fantastic to watch what you've done. I, I am here today to talk about the state of the church and and we have to get some context for that. Unless we understand the purpose of the church, then we won't understand whether the church is succeeding or not. What's important is to understand the distinct purpose of the church. And to do that, we have to um, end with the beginning. In, we, have to, we have to begin with the end in mind. So when you go on a journey, you punch in to your GPS, where you want to go, your postcode, wherever, and you understand, well, that's where we're actually going. And so if we want to understand the purpose of the church, then we need to understand where we're going. What, what is the gig? Is, is this gathering here this morning? Is that what it's about? Is it trying to get as many bums on seats in this room as we possibly can, many, as many times as we can over a weekend? Or is there a greater, is there a more purposeful reason for that. I know that some of you, you actually, you actually told lies this week. You actually said to people, I'm going to church on Sunday. Uh, this is not church. This is the gathering. This is the gathering of church. Church starts when we leave. When we leave church, that's when church happens. And we'll unpack that in a moment. But if we, if, we, if we understand what the ultimate purpose is, what is the blueprint, what is the architectural plan that we're actually building towards? So the Bible says in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15, it says, the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. So the game plan is this. The game plan is not to fill the room. The game plan is to get as much as heaven into earth as we possibly can so that when the kingdom comes, because the Bible says this, wherever the kingdom of God is, there's love and joy and there's peace. And I've been coming, I've been coming to Calgary for over 30 years and I want to tell you there is still an incredible deficit of love, joy and peace in this city. Oh, there's, there's, the people have prospered, people have of gained wealth, people have gained prestige, but, but when I look into people's eyes, when I'm in the Chinook Mall and I look into their eyes and I see emptiness, I know there's a distinct loss 
of love, joy and peace. And our purpose is to get the kingdom of God into this city so that people are exposed and have access to the, to the rule and reign of Christ because only the rule and reign of Christ is going to bring completeness and wholeness to people and to the society. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, this is the language of Jesus. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. So that's, that's the same language displayed in a different way is I want you to disciple nations. I want you to bring the mindset of heaven into your community, into your school, into your business, into your family. That is what I want you to do. This is the purpose of the church. If we go to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, we understand that the intention of God is that we rule and reign we take authority and dominion so that we become conduits of goodness and kindness and joy and peace on the planet. So he says, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Go back to Jesus again in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10. It says this, it says, I'm praying that your kingdom will come and your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why does God want his kingdom to come to earth? I used to think that that was some kind of futuristic state that we would inherit sometime. But I've discovered that wherever the kingdom of God is, the Bible says there's love and joy and peace and hope and future and contentment. And that's missing. And so I actually believe Jesus, when he told us to pray this prayer, is actually is wanting us to become intentional that we drag heaven into our environment. We begin to bleed love, joy, peace, affirmation, kindness, and goodness. And we begin to change the atmosphere where we live, exchanging it from unkindness, selfishness, egocentricness, to one of goodness and kindness. And love, and we bring atmospheric change for wh wherever we are living. I want to. I want to talk about three words. Three words that you may think you know, but maybe maybe I can add something to those words. The first word I want to talk about is gospel. The gospel. Now I was shocked to find out the gospel was not first used in the New Testament. It's a pre-New Testament word. And all biblical theologians will tell you, if you want to understand the meaning of the word in the passage, what did it mean to the people who were first hearing those utterances? What did it mean to them? What, was, what picture was in their mind? And the term gospel was used very commonly in the Roman Empire. In fact, when Rome was rampaging, particularly through 
Europe and they arrived in the country that they that they conquered. Maybe they got to France, they conquered France. They would they would they would declare. They would send out heralds. They would say, "The gospel of Rome has arrived." And our new emperor, Tiberius Caesar, is here to reign. And you need to adjust your posture, adjust your knee, bow your knee and adjust your life because the emperor has come in the person of the empire. And if you are a Roman and you are living in France, you are now free. And if you're not a Roman, then you can be free by becoming a Roman citizen. That was the concept. So gospel is about freedom. It's about freedom. Have you embraced the gospel? Life throws us curves. And when life throws us curves, we find out how deeply the gospel has penetrated us. When when we experience financial loss, we actually discover what level of addiction we have to materialism. Because that turns people inside out and upside down because they have value, they have safety, and their security is actually in stuff, not in Jesus. And if your security is in stuff, then you're on shaky ground. Jesus told the parable, he says, you're on sand. If that's where your security is. But the gospel sets us free from materialism. Sets us free from fear. Fear of the past. Fear of the future. The gospel is about freedom. The second word I want to talk to you about is, is the word ecclesia or church. Now, I had the unfortunate experience of going to Bible college. <laughs> and when I was in Bible college, they actually told me that Ecclesia, the church, that was started by Jesus. I've discovered that was not the case. I want my money back. <laughs> like I paid good money for that course. No, the term Ecclesia was used some hundreds of years before the New Testament in Athens. And the ecclesia was an interesting body of people. You could belong to the ecclesia or to the church in Athens, which was a secular institution, not a religious institution, if you had done military service, if you'd proved yourself faithful to the city, and thirdly, if you were male. Sorry, ladies. And it was a governance body. Can you put that in your head? Governance, governance body. And so if there was some dispute, civil disputes, you would take the civil dispute to the ecclesia. And they would say, or I would say, look, David, he stole. Dr. David, he stole my sheep. He stole my sheep. So, okay, David, tell your story. Tell the story. Ian, tell your story. Okay, David, give Ian sheep back. And it became a judgment call. When you understand that, Matthew 18 makes much more sense. 
So if there's conflict and it's unresolvable, you bring it to the ecclesia. It's based upon the governance thinking that was in Athens some hundreds of years before, now being redemptively applied to the Christian church in the New Testament. Ecclesia. So Jesus says, I will build my church. I will build my ecclesia. Now, it was the... The people living in Palestine at that time, they, they understood ecclesias. There were lots of Roman ecclesias because the Romans took concepts of Athens, applied it to their, their strategy for reculturalizing nations. They know that when they, when they military conquered, they could not, that was not sustainable unless they culturally conquered. And so, they would, say to their, they would say to their people, look, when you arrive in the new territory, when you get to France, and of course, when they'd conquered, they'd taken all the premier people from France, they'd taken them back to Rome, they'd brainwashed them or discipled them or whatever language you want to use. They sent them back with other people, um, if I contemporize it, doctors and lawyers and nurses and waitresses and clerks and whatever. And they said, when you get to the new territory, when you get to the new territory, bleed Rome every day. Tell them how good it is to be a Roman citizen. Tell them what wisdom you get from the empire. Tell them what protection you get from the empire. Tell them what it's, what it's a good thing to have the power of Rome behind you. And so you understand that there are parallels that Jesus is drawn upon from the dominion of Rome and the kingdom of God, and he's drawing parallels all the time. He's leveraging those concepts. So when he says, I will build my church, the people knew that there were churches because they were told when they went into those environments that, that they needed to gather in groups of two or three. And if they gathered in groups of two and three, they would be energized by doing that. Third word, kingdom. Kingdom. Wherever there's a kingdom, there's a king. So the Bible says we were translated from the kingdom of darkness, Ephesians chapter 2, and we were translated into the kingdom of light. So wherever there's a kingdom, there's a king. So when we're in the kingdom of darkness, we were governed and controlled by a king called Satan or the devil. Now, we, we often thought we were doing what we wanted to do. You older people will remember um, the Frank Sinatra song, I Did It My Way. We thought we were doing everything our way. What we didn't understand, we were being manipulated and controlled. There was stuff coming past our path. There was stuff um, coming past our eyes. We were being drawn into temptation. And what we didn't realize, although there is pleasure in sin, the Bible says there's pleasure in sin, we, don't, we didn't understand the multiple effects of being incarcerated in habits that originally was just a tantalizing experience, but it ended up becoming a bondage to us because we were being dominated and controlled by the king of darkness. And then we came from the king, kingdom of darkness, and we came into the kingdom of light. A new king. New king. Still a king. New king. King Jesus. And so when we come into the kingdom of light, the 
kingdom of God, we give, we give up all of our rights. Let me tell you, Jesus is not interested in your opinions. That's a shame, isn't it? No, no, because you're kind of wiser than him, so he really should take you on board, shouldn't he, really? He's not interested in your preferences. What he's really interested in is your obedience. He's more interested in your obedience doing what he's told you to do. And some of us are stuck in the room this morning. We're stuck in our Christian lives in the room because there's stuff that Jesus has told us to do and we are actually refusing to do that. And we're asking God for another way, another route, another idea, another plan. Let me encourage you, his plan's not changed. He's waiting for your obedience. And you won't go any further until you do the last thing he's told you to do because he's the king. He's the king. And when he's the king, we give up every right to have personal preferences. I wanted, I wanted to be an accountant. That's, I thought it was, that would be a great job, spending other people's money. I thought that would be fantastic, fantastic. And in my pre-university course, I'm training to be an accountant, and then I have this encounter with Jesus. No, no, I don't want you to be an accountant. I want you to be a speaker, a trainer, an encourager of people. Do what I'm doing this morning. And I'm thinking, wow, that doesn't sound too exciting. I've looked at the salary scales, hopeless. <laughs> Bonuses, get none of them until you get to heaven. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and there was a little resistance, right? But you begin to discover God's ways are best. And so I have to tell you, I have, I have lived the most amazing, fantastic, glorious life for the, last, for the last 49 years doing what Jesus wanted me to do. So at the outset, it looked pretty scary, it looks pretty dim, it looks pretty dark. But when actually we do what God tells us to do, because he knows best for us, life takes on a whole new dimension. Kingdom, kingdom, we're in the kingdom. Now, in the first 300 years of the church, the church had no unique social media, social media opportunities. They had very few paid staff. They didn't actually own a building for 300 years. And during that first 300 years, in the then known population of the planet, they took over. I use the word took over carefully because we use the word governance. They governed 25% of the then known population of the planet. And it's gone backwards ever since. So although there are there are more Christians on the planet than ever before. The percentage-wise has not been so great. I've been interested to understand that Jesus used the term church three times. Like I've used it many times. In fact, the first, the first 35 years of my speaking preaching, I, largely only talk about the church and Jesus. But he used the term kingdom 103 times. 
or the kingdom of God 103 times. And, and I began to understand that maybe what I had embraced as a primary thought was a secondary thought to Jesus, or there is a significant purpose for the church that I had not calculated in my theology or in my practice, but there is also the kingdom of God. And it's like two engines that drive the plane forward. There's a purpose for the church, and the purpose for the church is to deliver the kingdom of God into every area of influence that we might have. The purpose of the church is not to fill the room. That's not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to get as much as heaven into the planet as we possibly can, making Jesus absolutely irresistible. <laughs> there are three institutions in the New Testament. There is a synagogue. That was the teaching forum. Now, wouldn't it make much more sense where Jesus would say, look, I'm going to build my synagogue. I'm going to make sure everybody has truth. I'm going to make sure everybody understands the way. I'm going to build my synagogue. He didn't do that. There's a second institution called the temple. And why didn't Jesus say, I'll build my temple? This is the place of worship. This is the place where people encounter. This is the place where supernatural transaction takes place with human beings and the divine God. I'll build. I'll build. I'll build my temple. No, no, what Jesus said is, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to take a secular institution and I'm going to redeem it so that it works for my purposes. So you understand how the Roman institution of Ecclesia is working, but I'm going to redeem that. So somebody, somebody called Sir William Ransby says this, Whenever Roman citizens came together, they constituted a conventus convinium Romarandium. So even if the city or the colony was not yet conquered, he said where two or three citizens of Rome gathered together, they could expect the full backing of the Roman Empire. William Barclay, New Testament words, say this. The Roman Ecclesia was a microcosm, a microcosm of Rome. Anytime two or three Roman citizens got together, even in an unconquered territory, they could re rely upon and expect that the emperor would be present and his presence would be there. So there was a common saying. As Rome is establishing itself, not just through military power, but now reculturalizing the nations that they conquered, they said, look, you're going to be bleeding Rome every day. You're going to be telling people how good it is to be a Roman citizen. You're going to tell them all the benefits there are. But look, you need to gather, you need to gather at least once a week, two or three of you. And if two or three of you gather together, the emperor will be present and the power of Rome will be there. Anybody ever used anything like that before? Jesus used that thought, right? Jesus stole it. Okay, let's be politically correct. Jesus took that thought and he redeemed it. He redeemed it. And so church, this is where church is. Church 
is wherever there's two or three of you gathered together in the name of Jesus. You may be in an office downtown. There's two or three of you gathering together. You can expect the presence of Jesus and the power of Jesus to be present. And you can expect emanating goodness and kindness and hope from that community of people making atmospheric changes because you are there. You can be in Starbucks having a coffee not just having a coffee, not just having a gossip, but you're there for the purpose, the purpose of engaging with one another and engaging with Jesus. And as you do that, Jesus turns up. His presence turns up, emanating out of you three people. It comes the kingdom of God that's flowing into the environment of that coffee shop. That's called church. And so Jesus said this. He says... I want you to disciple nations. Now, sometimes, sometimes we, we think that's a geographical, political area on the planet. But a nation, that term is ethnicity. Ethnicity. So it's a people group. But if we contemporize it, it's, it's wherever people gather for shared values, shared vision, common interests, that becomes a nation. So, so the hockey club, the tennis club, the bowling club, the cribbage club, the poker club, wherever it is. And we are called to find ourselves in there with those people bleeding Bleeding the goodness and the kindness and the mercy and the non-judgmental attitude of Jesus to those people. No, no, please, please don't evangelize. I beg you, don't evangelize. Some of you are evangelizing and you're putting too many people off. Please don't do that. Please take the kingdom. Please take goodness and kindness and love and servanthood and even brokenness so that you can become a source of help to the people that are in that environment. And as you are beginning to make Jesus irresistible, you are, you are moving into a conversation where you can maybe talk about your faith and, and your relationship with Jesus. That's how we begin to disciple a community. That's how we begin to disciple a nation. So Jesus says, go and disciple Nations, And there's, there's two sides of the coin, right? There's two sides to the coin. And the one side of the coin is we're called to evangelize the planet. Matthew 16 and verse 15. Now, sure, we need to be open, open to that. But downloading the kingdom is not just words only. So my son, he was in the supermarket called Tesco's in the UK a few months ago. Something like Save on Food is in the lineup. The guy who's checking him out looks like he's got a bad back. He says to him, hey, mate, how's you? You look like if you're in pain. He says, oh, these chairs they give you, I hope it doesn't support your back at all. He says, look, I'm a follower of Jesus. Do you mind if I say a prayer for you? Guy was a bit dismissive. He said, oh, whatever. So Morg just says, okay, Jesus, do your thing. Thanks. The guy says, what was that? He says, well, you tell me what it was. He says, all that pain left my body. He said, did it? He said, yeah, absolutely did. He says, well, that's, that's just Jesus. Like, you've got a line of people here. I can't talk to you. I'll, I'm, I'll turn up next week. We can chat then. That's called bringing the kingdom of God, right? 
That's not having a debate on who's right, who's wrong. That's actually the demonstration of the kingdom of God. So he, he had the opportunity to taste and see that the Lord was good. But then there's the evangelization. There's the evangelization. I want you to disciple nations. And so we have, I showed you that video of, of um, Uganda earlier on, and we just have some remarkable things taking place there. Uh, partnering with um, Masters uh, Academy here in the city. Our team leader was going there in March. They had a stopover in Dubai. They were in the business lounge. They were talking about education and how it needs to change and what they've actually been doing in Masters Academy. And there's someone sitting over there and they say, hey, that's really interesting. Do you mind if I join your conversation? So they join the conversation and said, can you explain some more about this process that they use in that Masters Academy? He says, oh, that's really interesting because I am the minister of a higher education in Uganda. Would you, would you possibly come and do a presentation to our department? Would you possibly come and meet the Minister of Education, which happens to be the First Lady. How do I find out more about this? Well, Tom Rudmick, he'll be here in a few, few weeks' time. Do you think he'd come and do a presentation? We think it could be arranged. So they did the presentation. Deeply, deeply interested. Ten days ago, our team leader is there, four hours with the President and with the Minister of Education unpacking how we can possibly bring this new way of thinking. And what's going to happen is this, is there's going to be a new way of thinking in every topic and subject embedded in it will be a biblical worldview. And over the next 15 to 25 years, we'll bring a biblical worldview into that nation. It's going to change the nation and it's going to disciple the nation because finally people will understand the context of how all of this works. I think that's pretty good. You, okay. Look, I, I know you Canadians. Look, I've been here 130 times. I know when you get excited, when you're getting excited, you think about smiling. So I, I get the low level of responses. So it's, all, it's all good. It's all good. If you had had a hockey match, you know, it'd be different because, you know. Anyway, pass. Jesus has not called, Jesus has not just redeemed us. He's recruited us. The moment we say yes to Jesus, we're in the kingdom. From that moment on, we're a recruit and we're a conduit to bring the kingdom of heaven through our lives on a daily basis. Kindness and goodness and mercy and love into our environment. That's what we're called to do. When we think of what we've done right, we've done a lot of things right. The church has done a lot of things right. Did you know, did you know, we've been very good at evangelism. Did you know that there are more Christians on the planet than there are Christians in heaven? Did you know that? Out of all the people that have died in Adam to today, put them on that side of the platform, out of all the people who are alive and who are serving Jesus today, there's more people on the planet serving Jesus than there are people worshiping Jesus in heaven. Every single day, 292,000 people come to Jesus, average. That's, that's a good Thursday. So we've been ballistic. We've been phenomenal at evangelization. Where we've been a little weak on, we've been a little weak on discipling nations. 
discipling people groups, bringing the thoughts of heaven into our community, helping people understand why integrity and righteousness and goodness and kindness are invaluable for a healthy community. We have, we have been very good Canadians. Say nothing to upset anybody. Well done, you faithless servant. It's only a thought, just, it's only a thought. No, no, we, we are filled with the potency of heaven. And there are people in our world that need hope, kindness, goodness, and love. And we are the conduit of heaven into that environment. And so, this is either a lifestyle or it's a task. The construction of Matthew 28 and 19, it says, go and disciple nations. It says, and as you are going, disciple. This is not an event. This is not a six-week class. It means keep on dropping kingdom thoughts wherever you go. This is not evangelization. This is discipleship. Discipleship is pre-conversion and post-conversion experience. And here we are in a secularized city. What a phenomenal opportunity. (laughs) Isn't it great that the people before us did such a terrible job? (laughs) Like there's so much opportunity for us now. There's probably 89% of the city that don't know Jesus. Like that's fantastic. That's absolutely brilliant. What a market we have. And as you go, drop kindness, kindness bombs, goodness bombs, righteous bombs, no judgment, let the kingdom of God flow through you. Let's just pray together. So Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for your kindness and for your goodness. We love you, Lord. We thank you that we've been born with a purpose and a reason. And Father, I'm praying out of this community of faith, rivers of goodness and kindness and righteousness would flow into this city, arrest in the dark places, bringing hope where there's hopeless. I say, Jesus, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.